Hey, this is Neil Mackay, your host of a Vietnam podcast. Now, before we get started on this episode, I wanted to share with you about one of my favorite affiliate partners, and that is Fiverr. I've been using Fiverr for years for everything from ordering YouTube thumbnails to keyword research, writing podcast articles, even to Canva designs and thumbnails and more. So whether you're a budding entrepreneur, a podcaster, or anyone in between, Fiverr has got you covered. It really is the go-to platform if you want to find freelancers offering a massive range of services to help you on any project. Maybe you need a stunning new logo or just a short animation, whatever you need, you can find it on Fiverr. What I love the most is how easy Fiverr makes it to connect with talented freelancers from around the world, all at prices that will fit whatever your budget is. Plus, with Fiverr's secure payment system, you can trust that your transactions are safe and secure. No dodgy people you meet on Facebook groups that disappear with your money and never give you what you want. What, that's only happened to me? As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you use the link and at no extra cost to you. As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you click my link and you buy something, all at no extra cost to you. And best of all, you will be directly supporting the making of this podcast that you're listening to for free, but it is not free to make. So why we head over to somewhere that you've probably never been before. It's called the show notes. So whatever app you're listening in, if it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anything at all, head to the show notes, click on my special link, and then you can browse thousands of gigs ready to help you with your next project. And now let's dive into today's episode. Let's go. So today my guest is a chef, a restaurateur, He's the owner of El Camino, which is celebrating its second birthday very soon. And also Dos Amigos, which is the newest addition to the Zwan Tui foodie scene in Audien. So my guest today is Calvin Ui. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. How's your day been so far? Uh, it's been a media frenzy. Uh, we just finished a uh, interview with Vicetra before this. So it's definitely... Fun to see how much media's in Vietnam right now. It's definitely different than what it was ten years ago. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm happy to be here, and finally we have time to sit down together. Yeah, I was going to say so. Calvin has been the hardest person to get a time to sit down and have an interview with. I've actually been trying to get Calvin on the show since season one. We've had a couple of scheduled interviews, and things haven't gone on both of our parts. It's really difficult. He's a very busy man. I'm quite busy as well. So I'm I'm glad that we finally get to sit down. Sure, sure. Conversation. And it's interesting when you see the media scene in Saigon has really like, you know developed. Developed, yeah. And yeah. it's good to see and there's a food and beverage is a big part of that as well, right? Definitely, definitely. I think uh the number of restaurants over the last ten years has increased incrementally. Um you know, Vietnam is still young on the food map in Southeast Asia. But uh, the cost to uh, create a restaurant here is a lot less than um, a lot of restaurants uh, elsewhere. And I think that uh, young entrepreneurs, uh, young individuals who, uh, you know, that's something to say. They have 
something that they want to share with the uh, restaurant world. Um, they're coming out with uh, pop-ups and they're coming out with uh, restaurants on all different scales. And it's a really exciting time to be in Saigon right now. So re- really excited to um, be part of uh, this big push uh, when it comes to F&B. And you were in early in the scene, right? And that's something we've talked about this on the podcast, not just in terms of F&B, in terms of comedy, the arts, creative scene. Saigon is such a new kind of fresh canvas for many of the different scenes. So it's good that you can get in early and you could do a lot, right, that you maybe couldn't do in different cities. Around. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, mean, I think... For the most part, the uh, young Saigonese, they're really open to seeing what we have to come up with. And it's really exciting to see them uh, come and enjoy and experience uh, just the arts on all different scales. Whether you talk about fashion, you talk about filmmaking, uh, you're talking about a comedy that you mentioned earlier, uh, even restaurants. You know, it, it's really uh a city that opens its arms and accepts all of us in. Mm. And it's, that's really cool. And what um, the feedback that I've always been given is that the creative scene, I think it's the same in the food and beverage scene because I've seen it. They all support each other, right? There's obviously some competition, but it's not more of a friendly competition and everyone will help bring each other up. I, I agree. I think that, uh, you know, the city is only so big and we're all... Uh, as individuals and art, as artists trying to make people happy. And there's no time for um, individuals who, or there's just no time for any of that hatred. You know, we're all here to work together and help one another. And I think that um, in this day and age, in 2019, we're definitely able to do that. Mm. And I have to give a shout out as well. We're talking about the different scenes, the podcasting scene. Yes. Loaded this year yes. in Saigon. So yes. I started in May and I looked about the scene and there was um, the Saigonia podcast. Mm-hmm. And then not long after that, there was the Sexy Meat mm-hmm. podcast, which is Mark Gustafsson from Via Craft and mm-hmm. along with Josh. And then from then, there's a new one just started, which oh, it's terrible. The name's escaping me, but that's again, that's interviewing creative people. And then there's another one from Dana Drehos, who I've had some uh, dealings with, and she's an awesome person. She's doing one for creatives in Saigon and specifically interviewing creative people who sure. are adding to Saigon. Sure. So it's like gone from when I, before I started, I only saw one other podcast, and then now there's all five, and I'm sure there's more coming. Oh, the Bureau podcast is oh, again. Yeah. Okay, and they're specifically for food and beverage. Yeah, yeah, Matt and, not, and not, Mike. Yeah, Matt and Mike and yeah. Yeah, so I listen to that regularly. Yeah. What drove you to make podcasts? Um, Oldham. Boredom is good. <laughs> um, no, so I was a big, just like we were saying before we started recording, I was a big podcast fan. Really loved the medium. You can just put it in and do the dishes, be in the gym, be driving. And so I was actually doing the dishes one day and uh, I have Sundays off and my wife is working and I needed something to do. And I was like, start a podcast, that seems easy. And then the name, 7 Million Bikes, came to me. I was like, I'll buy a microphone. Mm-hmm. And then my friend Lewis, who I always give massive credit to, I said, do you want to do anything making some music for my like theme music? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. He's a music producer. And then nothing came of it, nothing came of it. And I was about, and I'd already recorded a couple of episodes and I was about to try and find some royalty-free music just to sure, put sure. on there. Sure. And I suddenly got a message from him saying, how does this sound? One listen, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And 
Has it changed your life being a podcaster? Uh, I guess so. Yeah. How so? I I think um, friendships for one. This is one of the things. Um, I've just been interviewed on another podcast of the Blue Expat, which is actually predominantly interviewing Vietnamese people, but they do interview some English speaking people. And they interviewed me, and I said, you know, for most of the guests I've had on my show. I'd say I've become pretty good friends with them afterwards, which has been amazing. Most of them I don't know before, or even like yourself, you know, I, I know of you. We have interactions. We're friendly with each other. but Sure. We don't have a chance to sit down and, you know, talk to each other. No. We really just talk. And Lewis and Kim, who are one of the first episodes, are two of my closest friends here. And the stories that I shared with them on the podcast, I never knew about them. Sure. They were so funny and so interesting. So that for me. It's been good. And then just, you know, it's just been a really good buzz and it's been good interactions, meeting people, things like that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about you, not me. This isn't a podcast about... Oh, I was trying to flip it around. I know, I saw that. about you. I'm going to flip it back. So, Calvin, the first memories I have of you was I was doing teacher training, uh, doing the CELTA, just off of Boy Vienne on Uncoutine. Yeah. And my memories of you are walking by Sancho's and you just kind of yelling at somebody in Vietnamese. And like many people, when they come here first, they're like, why is that guy yelling at somebody? Why is he so angry? Sure. And then you realize that Vietnamese people, and when you speak in Vietnamese. It sounds it's, like Lucy and Desi arguing with one another. But in true actuality, uh, I'm a very nice guy. Yeah. I probably never yell at anybody. And now obviously then you realize, oh, he's not just some crazy guy in the street yelling at someone. He's just talking to someone and having yeah. a conversation. But I always used to love going to Sancho's. Um, you were always very generous. Oh, thank you. Of tequila. Thank you. Thank you. It was always good. So you used to be... Were you the chef or the owner? Of- I was the chef and owner mm-hmm. of uh, Sancho's and way back then. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we were lo- looking to create a very, you know, just a dive bar atmosphere that served good Mexican food. Mm-hmm. And, uh, three years of owning that place. We uh, moved on from there. Um, I think in 20, uh, it'll be 20. Like early 2018, but 2017 was when we uh, we moved on and then we opened up uh, El Camino. And I was away from the kitchen for quite a while when I was at Sancho's. And I really wanted to get back into the kitchen and create something that, you know, it was a little bit against the grain. It was a little bit, um, it was definitely different. Uh, we took approach and we made uh, a Korean Mexican fusion. We did so in a in a space that used to be a storage room. So um, we, my, my wife and I, created El Camino, and we wanted a place. You know, one one of our key principles for any restaurants that or bars that we open is we want something that is non pretentious. We want something that is uh, definitely new and. Again, I use that term going against the grain uh, very often in, in, my, in my cooking and in what we do. But we wanted something that was for the Saigonese. People who brave the traffic, they brave the uh, air quality, they brave all these things. And I wanted to do something that was special for them. I wanted friends and family to come into town and say, hey, I have a place to take you. It's called El Camino. They do this crazy rendition of uh, Mexican-Korean fusion tacos. And I wanted the 
I wanted the guests to go back to their hometowns and say, you know what? We just had this, you know, ex- incredible experience and it was in Saigon. And no one would believe them because well, who would ever think that there would be a Mexican, Korean taco place in Saigon? <laughs> and has it, do you see on the TripAdvisor reviews, have you achieved that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate and pretty lucky in TripAdvisor. Um, so we're number one right now under Mexican food. And it's so crazy because what I do is completely opposite of Mexican food. Uh, shouts out to those who do authentic Mexican food here in Saigon. But it was just never my, we never set out to do something really authentic. We always wanted to do something that was us, that was very LA-esque, uh, where from it was just a hodgepodge of all these different types of cuisines mixed together into one restaurant. And El Camino is just not just a restaurant. It's it's almost like a lifestyle. It's it's how we live. It's it's treating others fairly and it's treating others with uh, respect and giving out a pride that we really firmly, really believe in and doing it at a price point that allows everybody to come in and enjoy what we what we offer. We'll be right back. Did you know that family travel has the incredible power to shape our children's worldview and create lasting memories? In a world where representation is often lacking, it's essential for our children to see themselves reflected in every aspect of life, including the stories we tell about travel. Introducing the Travel of Legacy podcast, where we're rewriting the script by celebrating the diverse voices of black and brown family travelers. Each episode of Travel of Legacy is a testament to the enriching power and the joy of exploration in black and brown communities. So journey with us and subscribe now. Well, you know, I'm not just saying this because uh, you're sitting in front of me. You know, I'm a pretty regular customer at El Camino. You've done an amazing job. The food there is uh, incredible. What made you choose then Mexican and Korean food? Yes, that's always a funny story. So I think every chef is classically trained in French cuisine. And I was that uh, a long time ago. And... um I've worked my ways through San Francisco's kitchens and there was one restaurant that I was working at and uh, I used to make their master stock and, you know, we're talking, uh, you know, big vat of oxtail and we would make their stocks uh, every week. And it was my job as chef to create a staff meal. So... There are some days that I would try to create some really extravagant things for the kitchen and the front of the house staff. But the one thing that all the staff always loved was my oxtail tacos. And it had a lot of uh, deep flavors of pho in there. Uh, That's just how I did my beef stock. And I remember one day, this is like 2004, 2005, uh, it was my, I had to cook something and I was kind of behind the ball. So I took all the oxtail meat um, and I just made a little taco stand for all the staff. And lo and behold, they ate every last morsel. And my chef kind of jokingly 
said to me, he said, you know, I think one day you're going to open up a taco shop. I said, no way, dude. I worked too hard to, uh, you know, be good at what I do. And, you know, I, 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 I am doing this French California cuisine where it's like, you know, French techniques, but California seasonal ingredients. And back then that wasn't even a term. And he's like, no, I, I really think that one day you're going to open a taco shop. I just kind of put it behind me. I guess you fast forward, you know, 15 years or 13 years, whatever. And here I am making tacos for everybody. So I think it's, I, I think it's kind of one of those cool things where you just, I just cook food that I enjoy cooking. I cook food that I, I want customers to appreciate. And I'm not, I'm definitely not everybody's cup of tea. I, I definitely use flavors that, you know, not everybody is accustomed to. But at the end of the day, I put my heart, you know, on that menu and I work and I really try to create something that um, people can enjoy. You know, they get off their phones, they get off Instagram and they just focus on the food in front of them. And hopefully some people enjoy it and is that why El Camino is so dark? So people can't use Instagram? And yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it, it's exactly the reason. So during two years ago, that whole Instagram phase was going around with you know, the hashtag InstaFood. And my wife and I were like, if they spend all that time taking photos, that food's going to get cold. And that food's not going to be good. And they're going to complain. So we purposely used Edison bulbs we purposely made it so dark that the photos come out so ugly. Mm -hmm. So, uh, well, I got bad news for you. Yesterday, I saw a commercial for the Pixel 4, which can take pictures in almost complete darkness. It can take a picture of the night sky and capture the stars. Is that something? So, once that hits the, hits the market, the streets, the market uh, you're going to have to think, because I you have to do is dive in the dark. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, dark. yeah we, 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 we definitely wanted our place to be. Uh, a joint where just people talked over good food. Mm. It's a good hangout spot. I like it. It's like a, what you said to me, I think before you even opened it, it's going to be like a speakeasy. It's a speakeasy you style. Through somewhere else. Yeah, you, you, you go through somebody else's bar and then you go through a secret glass door, you turn left. And for those who've been there, uh, there's only one signage and you have to get inside to actually see the signage. I'm not going to lie. The first time I went, I honestly, I think I knocked the door. <laughs> it was a speakeasy. Yeah. It's like a speakeasy door. And was, we were kind of like confused. You're like, where do you go? Yeah. It's like, do we knock the door? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> then you walk in and you're like, wait for us right there. Yeah. It, it, the it, front house or right there in the kitchen, which is always good when you walk in. Sure. It, it definitely is an experience. You know, we, we definitely wanted people to look differently at what food could be and what restaurants could be. And uh, we try our best to always ask ourselves that exact same question. You know, what do we want to be known for? What's our message? And we always try to keep pushing ahead. So what's the worst complaint you've had or the most ridiculous TripAdvisor review or review that you've seen? Uh, yeah, so we got in like two bad reviews, two one-star reviews, but I take, I take them really with the grain of salt. I, I, I listen and I, I, I read out, read what they're saying which we always try to create something uh, better from that. So the one 
review that I was really, really, it was unjustifiable, was a review that said it was too busy. They had to wait 20 minutes for food. And I think it was just like the fact that it was just so hard to find. And I was just like, yeah, you know, great trip advisor because they let the restaurateurs have the last, the last say. So we definitely get a chance to speak our minds. So I, I wrote probably a dissertation and said, you know, I apologize that it took 20 minutes. You little punk ass bitch. You didn't say that. I did. Y'all can read it if, if you're a trip advisor. We're going to find it. We're going to put it in the show notes. Will you please? Yeah. So I just said, you know, I'm, I'm sorry it took 20 minutes. I'm sorry that you couldn't, you couldn't find a seat because we only have 38 seats. Just, I, I just said, I'm sorry. But I said it. I made sure that people n- knew that, hey, good food takes time. And there's no reason why you should uh, go to a restaurant and rush anything. It's, it's an experience. You should go and have a drink and look around and smell and do whatever you need to do. But rushing is the last thing you want to do when you dine out. And I find that I think the trend these days of restaurants or of customers coming in and demanding certain things. You know, you, you come into my house. I'm trying to feed you with everything I got. Why don't you try to just take it on and try to understand and appreciate what you're experiencing? Versus, hey, this isn't authentic. And then I asked them, what is authentic? And they showed me a picture of Taco Bell. So, uh, you know who you are, you little punk ass bitch. <laughs> but this, this boy just saying that it ties in. And I just sound like this the oldest man in the world, right? But like, this is, this is like the generation nowadays. This is the expectation. Like, again, I don't want to reference all previous episodes, but we've talked about like Tinder. And how, you know, dating has become so disposable for people and with Uber Eats and Grab Food and, you know, everything's faster, quicker. That ties into someone complaining about waiting 20 minutes. Like, yeah, and we're, and, we're, and we're busy. And and you know what? That's what happens when you're at a busy restaurant. It's, you wait 20 minutes. You guys have awesome drinks. You can sit down and have a beer, have a chat. Sure. There's no rush to have like your food in front of you. Yeah, I, I, I think it's... TripAdvisor is great, but when individuals uh, become keyboard warriors, it really affects our livelihood. Mm. We put a lot of money and time and ourselves into uh, these businesses, these restaurants, and to judge so quickly. Mm. Remember, the menu comes out, you get to read through the whole menu, no one rushes you, and you choose the items that you think are best suitable for you. The food comes out. And whether you like it or not, I think you should go in with an open mind. If you didn't like the food, tell somebody. I spend half my time in the dining room going from table to table to make sure that everybody has a good time. And if they don't, hey, I'd be happy to comp it. But you got to tell me instead of going online and doing so. Um, and, you know, people have had their opinions. 
when I had my restaurants in San Francisco, even though when I got, when I got reviewed by the SF Chronicle, they still came three times and they ordered, they would always come with a partner. They would always order two different things. And the, the person who is critiquing your food, critiquing your service and everything about it, they have done this all their lives. When you work at that level as a food writer, I think you go, you go into a business and go to a restaurant and you really want the chef to tell his or her story. Uh, instead of coming there and having predisposed ideas of what food could be or should be. And then when it doesn't come out to what you think it is, you write that review. And I can speak to, uh, I can speak for a lot of the restaurateurs and chefs in town. You know, if you don't like it, don't come. I, I go to a lot of restaurants and if I don't like it, I just don't go there ever again. I think that's the easiest way of dealing with it. But if you go somewhere and you have a, a hair in your food or you, your steak was overcooked or chicken was a little bit pink around the edges, whatever it is, there's a manager on duty. Social media makes it so easy to reach out. Everybody knows who the chef is at these restaurants. Everybody knows who the, who the owners are. You can just write a letter to us and say, hey, yo, I didn't like what you were cooking. Uh, I'm sure one of us, actually all of us, will come back and say, hey, I'm really, I'm really sorry you didn't have a great meal. Kitchens have bad days. They have good days. Well, maybe that was one of our bad days. How about we try to make this wrong or right? How about we bring you over and I'll personally cook the meal for you. Maybe just maybe I can change your uh, viewpoint on how this food is. And we can make, we can be friends about it. Yeah. I, there's, I don't understand the whole rush to the people kind of thing. Like, because I've had it before with something maybe not being right. Exactly what you're saying. You bring it to someone's attention, you chat to them and it will be sorted and you leave on a high and you will come back. You know, I'm going to sound like an old man right now also, but you know, my parents taught me to, but they taught me manners. And one of the things they taught me was, if you have something to say, say it in somebody's face. Don't do it behind their back. Which is what online reviews are. That's what they are. Yeah. And some people find that they get, they get listened to on these platforms and they feel important. But in reality, you punk ass bitch. <laughs> I do like that on foodies in Saigon, they, they realize that you have to bring it up with the restaurant yeah. before yeah. you post it on there. Which I, doesn't always happen, but... It, it more often than not, I think. If you have something to say, listen, we're, we're here to, to listen to you. I have a funny counter story to that, right? Okay. I used to live in Wellington in New Zealand, and there's a, a burger place here, a burger van called Ekum. I'm going to call them out because it was on the national news, right? And their burgers were fantastic. Like, some of the best burgers you've ever tried in your life. All these different types. Unbelievable, right? So the owner... Name's Mike. The name Ekum is Mike backwards. Oh, hey. It's all public, so I'm not, I'm not naming and shaming anyone. Someone sent him a nice message on Facebook, not publicly, mm. saying, yes. hey, my, we were in your restaurant. It was a, he, the, the, the screenshot of the message was shared. It was super nice. I just let you know, my kid got 
maybe got food poisoning, they've been sick, the rest of our party were fine. I just wanted to bring it to your attention. Sure. We think it might have come from your restaurant. Sure. Oh my goodness. He, I think, was wasted. He was that night. It was like a Saturday night and he went on this brand Facebook calling out basically like every category of his customers apart from like hipsters. It was like the businessmen that come in, the mum with the kids, like this, that, and the next thing, like just this vitriolic rant because he's like, this one woman said she got food poisoning here, blah, blah, blah. And so it blew up. I remember waking up on like a Sunday morning, all over my news feed, what's happened? You find that you find the source of the story and blah, blah, blah. Makes the national news. They're interviewing him, not really repentant, like at all. Didn't take the chance to take it back, you know, and say, oh, you know, I was having a bad day. Just keeps going at it. He owned it. He owned it. And I'm not kidding. We never went back. Yeah. Because of that, because he was just such a dick. We were like, okay, we're not going to go back there. Like, that's sure. terrible. We just basically, sure. like, sabotaged his own restaurant, which was, still to this day, if you go to Wellington, actually do go and try Eckenburger because it's insanely good for the guy. You know, you look at, you look at sports athletes and, you know, they are, they are, the magnifying glass is on them. 24-7. Uh, baseball, because uh, the World Series in America just finished. It's so, it's really tough when you're a chef or you're a restaurateur because all eyes are on you. And you have a, plenty of friends who support you, support what you do. But then they, there are individuals out there who they've, they really want to just tear you down. So imagine a year, there's 365 days. I try to stay open 330 days of the year. And every single thing that I put out with these two hands, my hands are up right now for those on the podcast. Um, I, I'm getting judged upon that every single day. And not everybody's palate is the same. I don't have the same palate as you or, or anybody else. But that's what makes us different. I think that people don't enjoy dining out anymore. I think the, dining, the, the going out dining scene has become something that individuals look at and say, oh, I got to get on my bike. I got to get in a car. I got to go and eat. It was toxic. Yeah. You can do it on an app and it's true whatever you're doing. I'm sorry. You know, when I was young, I had to get three A's. That's 50%. I had to get three A's on a report card that comes out every uh, semester just to get taken to, you know, the local Sizzler. I don't even have Sizzler back home, but Sizzler's not that good. <laughs> um, and we used to enjoy every single minute. Of, of, of going out because we would put our best our best clothes on. It meant we didn't have to eat Vietnamese food that night. It meant we didn't have to do dishes. It meant I could eat uh, honey mustard, uh, you know, in, in the 80s because honey mustard was so cool. And these days, people want what they want now. How old are you? 41 now. You're 41, I'm 37. We're just like that now. We're, yeah. We were turned that corner now. Sure. We're just like with, I think, misty-eyed about the good old days and anyone listening to this that's under 30 is just like, shut up, come on. Seriously. Get some grab food right now. Yeah. 
So let's let's uh, move away from the restaurant. Sure, sure, sure. Um, let's talk about your background. So you're VQ. Yes, I am. You were born in California. Your parents are from Vietnam. Yes. How did they end up then, or how did you end up in California, I guess? Uh, you know, my parents were broke people. They went over in 75. And uh, how I came about was probably a good six-pack and a little bit of loving. Uh, my, my, my parents had me in the late 70s, and we grew up in a small city called Huntington Beach in Southern California. They call it Surf City, USA. And, you know, me growing up, it was great. America was a really cool spot. You know, we grew up a few blocks from the beach. So there was lots of bonfires at night, a lot of barbecues in our, in, in our backyard. Uh, we had a little neighborhood gang and we traded baseball cards, read comics, things that probably no one does anymore. And um, I didn't start my career in, in the culinary field. I was actually a Wall Street banker. And I did that for a number of years. When 9-11 happened, I moved out of New York and back to California. And instead of going back to Huntington Beach this time around, I moved to San Francisco. And I think in 03, I started my culinary uh, education and I've been hitting the kitchen ever since then. And did you learn cooking from your period? No, my mom's a horrible cook. I think uh, a story that I, I, I tell a lot of the media is I used to love spaghetti and meatballs. That was like my jam back back then. And one day my mom didn't have any tomato tomatoes in the house. There's no tin tomatoes. There's no tomato paste. There's just ketchup. So my mom made uh, spaghetti out of ketchup. And she put it in front of me. And I, it looked like spaghetti. It smelled kind of sweeter, but it smelled like spaghetti. And so I took a big mouthful of that. And, you know, she thought nothing of it. She thought ketchup is made of tomatoes. So what's wrong with you? And uh, when, I, when I ate it, and I had to finish it because, you know, I think it was 83. No one didn't finish their food. If you didn't finish it that night, it would go into a box, like an old margarine box, and it would go in the fridge, and it will be served to you tomorrow. And if you didn't finish it then, I promise you the next day, you would have it the next day. <laughs> and she would somehow find a way to put it into other foods and surprise you because spaghetti with ketchup is there. So uh, ever since then, and the, the joke around, around the house is, you know, when the holidays come around, I cook everything. And I always say, you know, I don't want you making ketchup <laughs> spaghetti anymore. <laughs> I don't trust you. That's awesome. And so your parents, did they talk much about coming from Vietnam? Moving no, no, no. My, my, my parents would, wouldn't speak a, a lick of Vietnamese to me growing up. No. And I think that's why my, my accent to this day is so... So hereditary bad. It's just horrible. Um, I didn't learn any Vietnamese until I got to Vietnam 10 years ago. And I learned Vietnamese like everybody else does. I learned Vietnamese by watching television. And, uh, you know, you put on TV and they're, they're acting and they have a certain uh, way of speaking on television. And I find that my Vietnamese 
sounds like theirs. <laughs> so they always say that I'm over dramatic when I speak Vietnamese. Well, that ties into what I said about the first time I. That's right. Like Vienna. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you're a Wall Street banker? Oh, it sounds really cool, but I was just What's doing Wall Street. It does. <laughs> um, I, 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 was, I, I did what I did. I loved what I, I was doing. I was doing mortgage back securities and I was good at what I was doing. And at, at 23, I sold my first company and I did a little traveling. And when I came back, um, I, I would dine out a lot in San Francisco. It, it was, or even New York and LA, it's, it's just a lot of people buy nice cars. They buy nice watches. I just buy food. And I remember sitting in a restaurant probably 2002. And it was a restaurant called Townsend in San Francisco. Hopefully you're still around. Shout out to Townsend. And I was, you know, I would frequent there. And the maitre d' would come out and they would say, hi, Calvin. Somebody would come out and say, I have this new wine. It's really good. The chef would send out like an intermiso dish. And I was like, oh, Restaurants seem so cool. And this is the time that Food Network was coming about. So there was Emeril Lagasse, Bobby Flay. Um, there was Rachel Ray. And I remember sitting there and I looked into the kitchen and there was this French chef in his whites. He had his brigade. And I thought to myself, man, if... If it's this cool sitting at a restaurant on this side, imagine how cool it is to be in there. Little did I know that the restaurant world is so painfully, it's so painful. And when I first started my first restaurant gig and I was just like in there chopping vegetables and peeling potatoes, I kept looking for that French chef. It wasn't Townsend, it was another restaurant, but I kept thinking to myself, I'm going to have this French chef and he's going to be named Pierre and he's going to love me and fucking he's going to take me to France and he's going to show me fucking all these sauces and I'm going to become this top chef. And no, my, my, my first chef was named Jose and not to be, you know, racist, but his name was Jose. He was Mexican and he taught me so much uh, of how to be just clean and be tight. And he used to say something to me. If you can lean, you can clean. And I'll, and ever since then, I, every time I had like two minutes, I would just like wipe something down. So, um, but he was, he, he, he was my first chef and, uh, we didn't wear any nice whites. I think I wore like an extra, extra large. Cause that was all that was in the laundry basket. People in the restaurant world know that that's just all a show and that the real reality of it is it takes so much heart to um to do what we do and to have you know just try to make people happy it's it's definitely it's definitely an orchestra what's been your biggest challenge uh i think the biggest challenge to me has been trying to find my own voice in the, the culinary world uh cooking something that was that was near and dear to me, something that I really believed in, something that was different than what the trend was going right now. Um, the hardest thing for me was to do less to my food and to simplify 
uh, what we do and really find quality ingredients. I think anybody can mask stuff with salt and, and sauces, but yeah, but you try to do something without that, but the, 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 those, those masks and you'll realize that cooking is hard. Well, I want to get your opinion on this. Someone said to me recently that the best Vietnamese food in the world is in London. And I looked at him and I went, what? What are you talking about? We live in Saigon, sure. The best Vietnamese food surely here. And he went, no, because the freshest ingredients and the best ingredient in London. So you say, Adam, like the best Vietnamese food is in London. What's your opinion? All right. So for those who know me back in the SF days, they know that I started my career at a restaurant called Slanted Door. Slanted Door is pretty much the godfather epicenter of what Vietnamese farm to table seasonal is all about. I mean, Charles and uh, my chef has really helped mold me in my career. He's the one who told me, he said, hey, you're going to own a taco shop one day. And I just said, hey, man, dude, come on. Um, and, you know, he took farm to table. He took Vietnamese recipes. He used the best ingredients he possibly could find from the farmer's market, from the uh, the beef purveyors, everybody, just seafood purveyors. He created what I think Vietnamese elevated could be. But what is the best, right? And so everybody has different palates. I like to eat food that's more rustic. I like to eat food that's more regional. I like to eat foods that there's a story behind it. So uh, is Vietnamese food overseas better because of the ingredients? I think ingredients do play a big part, but it, it's up to the chef and his, his or her team to create something phenomenal. So I grew up, when I grew up, I was taught from Charles and my, my years at Slide Door to take basic ingredients and make the, making them the very best. That's my style of cooking. That's how I cook. That's how I've always cooked. I just take the, the, the most simplest things and I tried my best to do something to them to make it good. But if you're using, you know, Wagyu or you're using foie gras or you're using all these ingredients that are not native to Vietnam, it's hard to call it Vietnamese food. So I'm sure what they're doing in London uh, with Vietnamese food is extraordinary. Um, but if they had to buy uh, ingredients the way we buy ingredients from the, from the markets, from our purveyors, I'm sure they'll have a hard time. But hey, to each their own, again, you got to put your heart out there. You got to put yourself out there and you got to make people happy. So, And food safety is obviously a big concern in Vietnam and where you get your ingredients. Of course. From. So what, where do you get your ingredients from? So I've been buying from a local market here in Saigon in D1. Um, and I've been buying from the same woman for the last like seven years. So I remember before she was pregnant, when she just got married, and then I remember she got pregnant. I remember when her baby came out. 
I remember holding her baby. I remember her baby going to school. And now her child is like six. And it's so great to see um, just that family. And, and, and I still go every morning to the markets with my little red basket and a coffee in hand. And I buy all my veg for the day. So a lot of the veg coming into Saigon these days, most of it's from Dalat. And that's all we buy. I don't care what the price point is. I buy Dalat because I know the farmers are growing, you know, locally. Not hyper-local, but local enough. But because there's such a huge demand and there's so many people here in Saigon, they start to import stuff from China. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's just that I prefer to buy my vegetables locally. Um, uh, we still get our meats uh, from Australia. And we, I know a chicken lady in D4 who sells me really good quality chicken. And then all the pork products come from my wife's, uh, her family's farm. I know that recently there's been a big outbreak of African swine flu. And that's a big thing that a lot of us don't take for granted. But, you know, I mean, good restaurants, they source well. And, you know, a lot of you guys always look for that cheaper price item. But you know what? Cheaper doesn't mean better. I, I, I run a business. I, I, I'm a businessman. I got to make sure that what I buy in is of good quality and I need to still make money. So. We're in a race now where there are new restaurants popping up every day. I was talking to a friend of mine about this yesterday. But the amount of people is not increasing. And so a lot of restaurants now open and, you know, props to them. But they're not thinking about what's going to happen in six months. They're trying to cut their pricing to get market share. But the all honesty is no one works for free. I don't. Now you don't work for free either. And I'm sure nobody works for free. So support your small businesses. Support what we do. You know, if it costs some money, you know, no one's forcing you to come to our restaurants. The, the menu states the price. But don't come in and then say, oh, well, so-and-so does it cheaper. Well, is so-and-so going to be around in six months, a year's time? Saigon's famous for that, of not just food and beverage from schools, just popping up and disappearing, right? Cocktail bars lately have just seemed to spring up and disappear. Yeah. The only people who make money in this city, <laughs> you can quote me on this, are landlords and contractors. Because the amount of properties that are being flipped and turned and the amount that these landlords want from us to rent their space, it's just, I mean, if you guys knew what we paid for rent, you guys might really give us a break sometimes because we pay rent, we pay utilities, we pay our staff, we pay our purveyors. And if there's any money left at the end of the day, that's what we bring home. And, uh, you know, I mean... I, I I come out with a fair product. I, I don't think I'm cheap. 
by any means. So I just saw your post yesterday, you put your prices down. Yeah, yeah, I had to put my prices down. The day after I ate there as well, you're uh, You're welcome. We were there on Sunday. You're welcome. And I thought it was, I didn't think it was too expensive. Yeah, I, I mean, in this day and age, I think a lot of us have to re-look at our strategy. And um, I was talking to somebody and I said, hey, you know, you create a craft product and it's so well-priced. And he, and you know, he said to me, yeah, I have to. The market is so, it's so competitive now that I need to re-examine what it is that I do. And so for Dos Amigos Taqueria, we did just that. I want to feed people. I want to see plates come back clean. That's the reason why I put in the 70 hours. It's not about the money. It's not about the fame. It's not about any of that. It's when they walk in and they sit down, did I feed them? Are they happy? And is every last morsel of that plate finished? That drives me. So um, we lowered two items. Our burritos are now 100,000 from 150 and our burrito bowls are 135 from 165. It seems so drastic when I saw you post that. Because I'm not joking, we were there on... Sunday night. Sure. If they're not the full price. Sure. Didn't think anything of Sure. And then I saw your post. I was like, wait, what? That's a massive drop. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's something we have to do. But luckily for us, we own other businesses that kind of take the hit. We make sure that it goes, that the, the, the hit goes around all three businesses. So we all take a piece of it. But I'd rather feed people than to have somebody tell me, hey, and it happened. Hey. I don't want to pay six bucks for a burrito because back home, it's six bucks. And is that what was happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had someone else in there. I had somebody come in and say, they said, hey, Chipotle is six bucks and so are you. And I said, why should I be any less than Chipotle? Am I giving you a great product? Did you eat every last bite on your plate? Yes, but I think you should charge less. And I said, why, man? Why should I charge less? But this is really about the people. Going back to why we build restaurants. I hope you didn't just listen to one person. No, we, we, we really thought it out. Yeah. We want to make sure that people are fed. And if it means that uh, Dos Amigos makes a little bit less, then so be it. I'm not trying to cut the market. I, I, I'm going what I think is an average rate if you go out and eat, you want to spend a hundred thousand. A hundred fifty would be nice, but let's just say you want to spend a hundred thousand. All right. So I now know that there's a threshold for the market, and I guarantee the price of a hundred it won't be there forever. But for the immediate future, if I can make people happy, if I can get people full, then you know what? I hope you guys really take advantage of what we do right now. And when we raise the prices up slightly or back to what the original cost is, I don't want to hear people telling me that, oh, I'm paying more now. Consider this, you know, us being really friendly to the audience, but us also being very fair about um, who we are. So you're going to start seeing that Dos Amigos is going to be a little more self-serve. I'm going to need less staff. And what we do in, in the 
by doing so is we're going to lower the prices because my overhead uh, is a little less. So I'm going to pass along the savings to the customer base. So if you come, go to the counter, order, sit down, be a little patient with us, and we're going to try a different approach. We're going to try to do more self-serve restaurants, and we're going to lower the price, but we're going to try to do so uh, with with everybody's help. We need your help with volume. We need your help with with being patient, and we need you to tell a friend because that's the only way we're going to be uh, around next year, the following year, and the year after. We need people going out there and enjoying restaurants again. Hi, this is Ross, the host of Smells Like Humans, a show about interesting and quirky human behavior. We bring humor, empathy, and warmth to topics such as relationships, dating, work, self-compassion, weddings, phobias, aging parents, travel mishaps, death, and many more. Ever wonder what happens at a cuddle party? We talk about it. Free-range kids in restaurants? We've got some thoughts. Bedtime stories for adults? We're on it. Light, fun, unscripted conversation and personal stories. Please join us by clicking the link in the show notes. Do you think, I, I've talked about this in terms of ear, do you think one of the challenges in terms of price is because you can go and get a band meat for 10000 People know that they can pay that little for this delicious piece of food. Sure. And I think the beer industry has the same challenge that I can go and buy a Saigon special for 15000 which is fine, or I can spend 150000 for the same size beer. Obviously, the quality is infinitely better, but it does the same job. Do you think because in Vietnam there's such a difference between prices? I don't think it exists in many other places in the world. We can get something so cheap and then the same item so expensive. Is that what's part of the challenge for the pricing? I'm going to be very straight up right now, and y'all can quote me on this. The days of Vietnam being cheap, they're long gone. You can live any lifestyle you want. You can live in Ben Bin. You can eat Man Mi. You can drink uh, Saigon Special. That's on you. That's how you want to live your life. But it cannot, a person's lifestyles or choices cannot um, drive a market. My market that I go after is definitely not those individuals who want to find a cheaper lifestyle. If you guys want quality, you guys should think about the individual's who create it for you to enjoy it. Because if you don't support it, we close our doors down and we go somewhere else. And this city is going back, right back where it was 10 years ago when there are only five restaurants. So it's up to the consumer. Start thinking about, do I want this, you know, handcrafted small batch beer, gin, what have you, or burrito or taco. Yeah. Um, if everybody is going to live that old lifestyle that I was living 10 years ago, you're going to see all of us pack our bags and say, Hey, I can go to Seoul, Korea. I can go to Tokyo. I can go to Taiwan. I can do the exact same thing I do here and make three times as much and people will appreciate us. So 
if you don't appreciate craft, if you don't appreciate what you get in Vietnam, somebody else will copy us, but they won't do the exact same level that we can create. Do you think that that needs to be kind of marketed more? The way you're talking there about it being handcrafted, you know, locally sourced. I don't see that in the marketing. Are people scared to do that because it's too hipster? It's too cool? It's like people are going to be turned off by that? Uh, I think everybody has their own style of marketing. I'm sure, you know, if you guys follow me, I have my, definitely my own style of marketing. But I've always been trying, I've always been transparent in what we do. And we've always tried to serve the very best that we can, you know, within a certain price range, I tried my best to create something that was, was good. Um, yeah, you know what, if, if, if consumers who flock to Vietnam think that living here, they can make 2000 a month working and they don't want, and they want to hoard all that money and they don't want to reinvest it into the, in, into society. There's, there's going to become a day where none of us want to do what we do because we don't have to. We do this for the people. It's not the other way around. I think that a lot of restaurateurs and a lot of people in this industry do not want to say that, but I'll, I'll go on the record and say it. We do this for the people, but if we're not appreciated, I'll close up tomorrow and I'll, and I'll go somewhere else and I'll reopen and there will be individuals who come and enjoy what we do, what, what I do, what any of us do. Support, support small businesses, support, uh, what we do. If you want to eat Popeye's, you want to eat McDonald's, that's on you. And I, I eat McDonald's all the time, so I'm not going to say anything bad about them. So I feel like what you're, who you're talking to right now, though, is I'm, I'm talking about it to everybody. Yeah, I'm, I mean, expats. This is how that applies to Vietnamese. The Vietnamese middle class is growing so fast. And you go to any of these, any like restaurants that are blooming right now in Saigon. Well, I've, and I've talked about this before. Well, I always think it's so refreshing is there's so many Vietnamese people there. It's amazing to sure. see. It's not sure. that stereotype of it's just all wealthy expats there. Yeah. All these Vietnamese people enjoying all this expensive air quotes, food, beer, beverages, things like that. But you don't think that that market is there for that? They want that. The market's there. I mean, a lot of us have a have a hard time cracking that market. There's a few of us in the in town. Uh, I think Bowsy and what Chris is doing is like tremendous. What Ut Ut and Beercrafters are doing is tremendous. What Quince and Tomatito and Stoker are doing is tremendous. Octo, Fresh Catch, Coquette. All the people that I'm so close to and who've supported me uh, from my my early days, you know, we're all trying to break that Vietnamese market. But yeah, you know, if you want to, you want to call it out. Expats who come out here, I think one of the one of the PPC words that you can buy on Google is cheap Vietnamese lifestyle, and that goes for like a, a good a good amount of money for per click. But why should Vietnam be cheap? Why should what we do uh, be as 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 affordable as gum dum? Because what we do is not gum dum. But this came up in season one. One of my questions I asked was, "What's the biggest misconception um, out of Saigon as well?" And one of the answers that came back, which I hadn't thought about, was people overseas perceive it to be cheap, 
people think of conical hat, farmland, sure. war-torn country. People who live here say, like, you know, that's what my friends and family think it's like back then. Yeah. And then they explain, like, oh, no, it's like a big modern city. Agreed. Modernizing. So I think people who are doing that click looking for cheap being and lifestyle, I was probably one of them three years ago when I first came. And I was two, 10 years ago. Mm. So I'm not saying that I didn't live that lifestyle. I lived it for so many years because I was so poor for so many years. <laughs> I'm just less poor now. Um, you know, you, you can choose whatever you want to eat and you can choose however you want to live. But if you want, if you want to see what Saigon is in this day and age, go out there. I promise you, when you look at a menu uh, of, say, you know, my favorite restaurant is Quince. Shout out to Julian P. and their crew out there. If you look at his menu, his starters run 8 to $12. You go to L.A., San Francisco, or New York, a beer is 12 bucks. One of their starters is 18 to 27 Things cost. And we can't, as restaurateurs and chefs, we can't take that out of our pocket. We're trying to give the consumer something that is seriously good. And if you want to support it, you want to enjoy it, a night out for one person at a really nice restaurant run you 60, 70 bucks. In and out burgers was like 45 bucks for me and a few friends not too long ago. Can't be the, the comparison can't be made. But the, the beauty of Vietnam is that to Sunday night, I went to Dos Amigos, fantastic meal, paid full price. I was okay with that. Glad then, you did. <laughs> you know, today, this morning, I had a banh mi, $10,000 sure. for breakfast. I'm heading out tonight to Vincan in District 4 on the Seafood Street. You'll eat quite cheaply there. Sure. I love the dichotomy and the diversity of being able to do that. You know what I mean? And I agree. I, 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 I love the fact that I could have a great meal at any time for any price point. I, I, I think that's one of the best things about living in Vietnam is that we're, we have that option. But, but please keep in mind that everybody has to make money. The gum thumb lady is going to raise her prices soon. And don't, don't argue about it. Don't go there and tell people, hey, my gum thumb lady in Funyun is 17,000 and you're 35,40. You have a choice to where you want to eat at. Stop yelling and start appreciating what people do. I feel like those TripAdvisor reviews are starting to get, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard being number one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, number one. <laughs> right, we're going to move on. We're going to wrap up now because um, I find this, and I've said this before, uh, I feel like the sign of good podcast episode for me anyway, is when there's more to talk about. And we've been talking for a while now, and I feel like we could keep talking for sure, longer, sure. longer. So we will have to wrap it up just for that reason, but I think that's the sign of a, a good episode. So I, we're going to end with the same question that I ask at the end of every episode in season two. 7 million bikes, over 7 million bikes in Saigon. Uh, what kind of bike do you drive? How do you deal with Saigon? I drive a Honda Cub. Um, and how do I deal with the traffic? Being here for 10 years, traffic wasn't this bad beforehand. I think if you want to live in a big city, traffic's something you deal with. There's no way around it. Um, I think that if everybody just took 
five fucking minutes and let somebody ahead of them go in, we would we wouldn't be in this you know madness every day. But no, the city is thirteen million plus strong right now. When I moved here ten years ago, it was only nine million, and it only continues to grow. So if you don't like to uh, if you don't like the traffic, well then walk. Walk. <laughs> if by the traffic. Yeah. What's the oddest thing you've seen on a bike? Uh, there was one time I saw five monkeys on a bike. I love this. I know. Dances. No. <laughs> so I think it was it was when I used to own uh, Sanchez on Bui then, and just this guy had five monkeys on his bike. He was driving down, and they were all sitting so politely and. I, it, it was just crazy. Yeah. I saw a great one just yesterday. Was this massive bike was coming behind me. I could hear it. And it overtook me. And it was like almost like a Batmobile bike, like massive big guy with tats on. And he just did a little violin on his back. <laughs> I was not expecting that at all. <laughs> you know, you've got 24 hours off away from the restaurant, nothing to do, 24 hours in Saigon. What do you do with yourself? Um, so I think I start breakfast with, Something from the from the central region, I would say Miquan. And then I didn't have any work, huh? I would go to Japantown and do an onsen because I think that's really cool. Um, I'd get a massage at probably Mew Mew. Uh, I do a great set lunch around town, and there are some extremely good set lunches. Uh, you can follow my food blog, Fucking Deliciousness for more great tips on where to eat at. But I think my top, you know, five, uh, Fresh Catch has an incredible uh, set lunch. Stoker, Tomatito, Octo. And if I had to choose a fifth uh, set lunch that I eat really often, oh, you know what? There's a spot called Gummenduk in D1, and they do cafeteria-style Vietnamese food. It's really homey, and it ain't cheap, but it's really good. But that would be, like, my go-to spots for lunch. And then uh, catch a movie, because movies here are insanely cheap for the quality of theaters that you get. Um, I don't know, man. Crack a, bo- crack a bottle of vino. Have some beers. Just enjoy life, but don't do it cheap. Just don't just just spend some money, guys. Do what you want to do. Do what you want to do. So you've had your twenty-four hours off. You're relaxed. You've now got a week to explore in Vietnam. Where do you go? Uh so I've been here ten years, and I've been around to a couple of cool spots. Um, I like to go off the beaten trail. So Ninh Binh was really cool because they have a grilled mountain goat. So all the vegans and vegetarians out there, I'm sorry. Um. I enjoy places down south like Rakhia and Kondao uh, is really nice. A week off, where do I go? I mean, if it was me, I would just stay in Saigon and just eat my brains out. <laughs> That's all I would do. I, I don't need to go see anything. Um, but there's a lot of great, great places in this country. I love Hanoi. I love Da Nang, Nha Trang, Da Lat. I, just, I love I love Vietnam. I've, I've been a pro advocate of Vietnam for so many years, and I still continue to be a pro advocate of Vietnam. Um, 
it's a great place to be at. It really has supported my career. And I hope that through the 10 years of being here, I have given back just a little bit uh, because because Vietnam's given me everything. What you were saying there, that's, that's a nice sentiment. Yeah, I like that. That's great. Thank you. Tying into all the amazing places that you know in Saigon, do you have a hidden gem that you can share with the listeners? Yeah, I think there's one place that really speaks um, it speaks wonders. And I think that, you know, they've been around for so long. I really like Secret Garden. Fifth floor walk up, you know, the signage is small. But, you know, when you get, when you, rooftop dining, great food, great pricing, great everything. I think that's a place that I take a lot of my, uh, my guests who travel through. We eat there you know, twice a month. But the food's good. I think the food's good. Oh, I need to take, uh, I need to take my wife and eat yeah. our, um, our amazingness. And I have to give a shout out to my wife who supports this podcast massively and gives me the time and the space to make this. So uh, shout out to Adrian Lopez and Hospitigo at the Secret Garden. Uh, so since we're in the shout out mode, shout out to my wife too, Jang. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for being there. Thanks for supporting uh, my crazy dreams, my crazy aspirations. And thank you for putting your your life aside um, to help me uh, get where I'm at. So, I mean, that phrase, behind every good man, there's a better woman. Like, it's going to be more true. When you, true. when you meet that better woman, you're like, yeah, no, I'd be useless. I'd be hopeless for that Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so to wrap up, tell us what's going on with you. What's next? What's exciting? What's happening? Tell everyone. All right. So we just opened up a gin bar called Easy Tiger. And uh, it's at 24 Domu. It's in an alley. There are some female masseuse in the front of the alley. Don't mind them. Uh, we are not a speakeasy because we have a sign. And uh, I want to be very clear about that. We're not a speakeasy. Um, but it's a gin bar. And I currently carry 33 of, uh, I think, the best uh, gins that we have in the market right now in Vietnam. Drake start at 95,000. A GNT is 95. There's no reason not to get drunk. We're, again, going into the market, giving the consumer something that's very fair, very fun, and very different. You know, I, w- w- when you walk into Easy Tiger, I hope you can find it. Uh, 24W, go straight down. On the right-hand side, you'll see a metal door. That's where we're at. We'll put the map in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Would you put please? Link in there so we're um, you know, like, there's there's only so many seats, and we're not trying to be uh, a, a a big bar. Get a drink at the bar. Find a wall to lean on. Have a conversation. Talk to a stranger. Talk to two strangers. Get off your phones, and enjoy what we do. And uh, there's a little hot tip on there. Uh, we do truffle popcorn. And uh, I think that's going to entice a lot of people. <laughs> Hopefully it does. So come on down and, and come kick it with us. I'll be in soon for sure. Thank and then you said um, El Camino's got its second busting next year. El Camino. Uh, that's crazy. Yes, yeah, se- se- second second year. Um, Dos Amigos Taqueria is in Taudian. I think there's going to be a lot of moves from uh, from our group next year. 
Um, stay tuned. I, I, I have a few bets on the market on what the next trend is going to be. So we're going to hopefully uh, be first in that and set that trend. And yeah, I think um, next year is going to be really exciting for us because we're going to do some, some really incredible things. I think you'll get an idea what the trend is, but I'm not going to see it on you. What a tease. Thank you so much. Kevin. Thank you so much. It's been awesome. It's been worth the way. As I said in the beginning, we have taken a while to get this together, but I'm glad you've come on and um, been amazing chatting with you. Really good to hear some insights into the industry. I truly hope you don't go anywhere because your food, I'm not just kissing your ass. You know, I think your food's amazing. You do a wonderful job. Um, and I'm definitely, definitely, I'm Scottish, mate. So you put your prices down. I'm coming in more. Oh, tell, tell a friend. Tell a friend is, is all we ask. I was going to say that earlier as well. Something that I frustrates me often with restaurants, with everything, they will say, oh, can you leave a review online? And do you know what I would say to them? I say, I'm not going to leave a review. Sure. I just don't do it. I just can never be bothered. But I will tell somebody. And I think but people people forget about the good old word of mouth. Like, if I have a good time, I'll be messaging my friends. I'll be like, do you know what? I just went to Los Amigos. It was amazing. I'm yeah. Here, that's so much more valuable than just throwing out a review online. That, that's how we, we've always worked. You know, we're, we're a small business. We try to touch every, uh, everybody somehow, some way. And, and yeah, people ask for reviews. I never ask for a review. I, I, I honestly, the best thing you can do for me is eat all your food and, you know, leave a tip for your servers because it's nice to give them a little something, something, but tell a friend. Come back. That's all I can ask for. I, I don't need any uh, online reviews. Well, the best thing you could do is get come on the 7 Million Bike podcast and just promote all your businesses. What is your viewership? Uh, I heard it's like that. 9 million subscribers. Something like that. We're getting close. We're getting Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, I'll definitely be seeing you around. Uh, right. I'm going to go eat some cheap food now. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of 7 Million Bikes, a Saigon podcast with Calvin. Thank you very much to Calvin for coming on. Great to get an insight again into the food and beverage scene in Saigon. Thank you as always to Lewis Wright for composing the theme music and to Lynn Nguyen for helping me design the cover art. The podcast that I forgot the name of in the beginning of the episode is called Falling Jackfruit. Apologies to Falling Jackfruit for getting that. They're the newest podcast on the scene They've just had the second episode come out, so check them out. Thanks for listening. I hope you can check out um, other episodes. If you haven't heard them, you can go to 7millionbikes.com or listen anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you can, please leave a review. Go to Facebook, go to Apple Podcasts, give the Facebook page a like. You can even get us on Instagram, but I'm, I'm not so active on Instagram, but go on there and give us a follow as well. So thanks again, and I hope you can tune in for future episodes. Cheers. Ever heard a joke and wondered, did that really happen? My name's Neil McKay, host of a Vietnam podcast and a comedian. Long before I ever started comedy, 
When I heard comedians tell the craziest, funniest stories, I would always wonder just this. And if I ever got the chance to meet them, I would always ask straight away, did that really happen? Nine times out of ten, the answer was yes. In this new podcast from 7 Million Bikes, we talk to comedians from around the world, play you one of their favorite jokes, then ask them, did that really happen? Click the show notes to listen and subscribe from wherever you get your podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're like me, you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public Wi-Fi. This opens you up to digital snoopers. It's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider, or you know who, looking at what you do online, or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. These days, it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease, and I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers. <laughs>